Ten seconds, Super. Kiss my heart, I want you to hold it between your knees. There's never a cop around when you need one. You got a little pretty mail thingy. Well, do you, Bunk? I'm gonna nail you for picking your feet and putting up This cat shaft is a bad mother. Shut your Welcome to Vintage Video's 12 Days of Christmas, where as a special treat this year, we'll be reviewing all our Patreon poll options for December of 1973, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 50th anniversary of the release of Papillon on December 19th, 1973. It was written by Dalton Trumbo and Lorenzo Semple Jr., based on a novel by Henri Cherrier, with contributions from William Goldman, directed by Franklin J. Schaffner, and released by Allied Artists. Henri Cherrier, a.k.a. Papillon, was a Parisian safecracker, convicted in 1931 for murdering a pimp, although he insisted through his death in 1973 that he was framed. He was sentenced to life in prison and was shipped off to a penal colony in French Guiana. He made several attempts to escape, some successful, some less so. After his eventual release, he moved to Caracas, where he wrote a pair of autobiographical novels, Papillon and Banco. Both were intended as harsh criticisms of the French prison system, but they have in turn been labeled fabrications by the French government. I, I would say that you can't have multiple successful escape attempts. You only, you only have one. There's <laughs> no. only one successful well, he escape had, attempt. He had successful ones before that. No, because he was back in... If you escape prison and you get caught found guilty of another crime and sent back to prison was the first attempt successful no yes it was <laughs> no, if you escape from a prison then you that success because you ended up back in prison you should have led a life to not if it's a different a successful prison escape doesn't mean that you literally never for the rest of your life go back to jail it Gotta... means that you successfully <laughs> escaped and he was gone for almost a year and then and then he got arrested and sent back to a prison to a prison or the prison a different prison a different prison yes okay Wait, but in this story, he goes back to the same prison. Right. This is a fictional account of a fictional book of a real person's <laughs> life. <laughs> All right. After his eventual release, he moved to Caracas, where he wrote a pair of autobiographical novels, Papillon and Banco. Both were intended as harsh criticisms of the French prison system, but they have in turn been labeled fabrications by the French government, suggesting that Papillon was only ever incarcerated at St. Laurent and was never even transferred to Devil's Island. Devil's Island Prison was founded by Napoleon's nephew, Napoleon III, in the 1850s and was closed exactly a century later. So their their argument wasn't necessarily that the conditions weren't as bad as he was, he was saying. Their argument was, oh, he wasn't actually in that prison. They're saying, how can you trust a guy who's who half of his autobiography is written about a jail that he was never interred in? Yeah. The book's publication sparked a bidding war won by Continental Distributing, who paid a half million dollars for the rights, intending to hire Polanski as director, who was keen to cast Warren Beatty in the lead. But the film's funding collapsed, and the rights were sold off to producer Robert Dorfman, Robert the Dorf Dorfman, <laughs> with a director-actor combo of Terrence Young and Charles Bronson in mind, but later he settled for Franklin J. Schaffner and Steve McQueen. Schaffner, who we mentioned yesterday, was freshly cast out of the directing chair for Day of the Dolphin. So uh, Bronson would play the Papillon? Yes. Okay. I don't know who would have been the Louis character. It might not have been as big a role in that version. Screenwriter William Goldman was employed to compose the first, most faithful adaptation of Sherry's novel, but Lorenzo Semple Jr. was brought in to rewrite and inflate the smaller Louis Dega role, 
so that the story might entice Dustin Hoffman to star opposite McQueen, and to remove most references to homosexual activity between prisoners. During production, Dalton Trumbo was also brought on board for on-the-fly rewrites. When and, and brought back that sweet, sweet homosexuality. <laughs> no, there's none of that in here. A little, little bit. Not between prisoners. It was, no, the, uh, the other is. A little bit. The turnkey guy is also a prisoner. When Trumbo grew too weak after a lung cancer diagnosis, his son Christopher Trumbo took on some of that responsibility. Despite equal billing on the film, McQueen was paid $2 million to appear, which reportedly bothered Dustin Hoffman, who considered the project a two-hander, but was making $750,000 less. Actually doubt these reports, because McQueen is the title character. Mm -hmm. I feel like he would have understood that this is based on, that guy wrote the book, and he's the main character of the story. You're going to get paid less. But I don't doubt that the men clashed on set. The film's prison was constructed using blueprints of the original prison, and the film was one of the most expensive of the year. But on a budget of $13 million, it took in over 50 worldwide, so still very successful. Henri Papillon-Cherrier was also on set for some of the film, but died of lung cancer in July, five months before its release. The film's premiere was also a cancer benefit in his and Dalton Trumbo's memory. The rating was originally R, but lowered to PG on appeal. The film was nominated for Best Score for composer Jerry Goldsmith, but did not win. McQueen was nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Actor, and many think he was overlooked by the Academy for his performance here, which is often cited among his strongest. I agree with that. I think of the McQueen movies I have seen, and we we established I haven't seen The Great Escape. Right. This is my favorite one so far. They're very, very similar characters mm-hmm. and stories, um, and I think he's great in both films. Conspiracy theorists blame Paramount head Robert Evans, from whom McQueen had wooed Ali McGraw, suggesting he used his Hollywood influence to keep McQueen out of the running for Best Actor. Hmm. We start picture with three officers at a French prison approaching the Commandant, who addresses a collection of nude prisoners. He informs them that they're being transferred to a penal colony in French Guiana and will no longer be considered French citizens. As for France, the nation has disposed of you. France has rid herself of you altogether. Forget France and put your clothes on. I'm sure you guys were doing this as well, but I was operating under the assumption that they were speaking French this whole time. Right, yes. Okay. Yeah. And this is in France, this scene. This is them at the French prison getting sent out. But even when they get to the prison, I'm just assuming they're speaking French. and But uh, we're just hearing it in English. Right. We have a babble fish in our ear. Mm Mm-hmm. But I'm glad that they didn't do like the thing where some one guy, one character speaks in a thick French right, accent, right, right, yeah. and every once in a while they say bonjour or something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, everybody just talks how they talk. I literally gave it no thought whatsoever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the man playing the commandant here at the first prison is actually Dalton Trumbo, the screenwriter, or one of the screenwriters. Later, the men are marched down a crowded alley toward their ship to French Guiana. Among the prisoners, we see Dustin Hoffman as Louis Dega with big Coke bottle glasses. Apparently, Dustin Hoffman had to wear contact lenses under the glasses to keep from blinding himself on set. Yeah, I was wondering about that. That looked terribly yeah. uncomfortable for somebody who didn't need them. So he had like, what, convex? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's just like a, <laughs> like a little like satellite like, yeah. on the surface of his eye. <laughs> to counteract the glasses. A woman on the sidelines in a fancy fur coat smiles and waves to him before retreating to a fancy vehicle and chauffeur. The men behind Louis rub their fingers together to silently comment on Louis's apparent wealth. Another woman on the sidelines tells Papillon, a.k.a. Henri Cherrier, played by Steve McQueen, that he will be back someday, but the man walking beside him, Julo, disagrees. The prisoners are loaded into a cell below the deck of a ship and immediately hang up hammocks to sleep in during the trip. The two unnamed prisoners who saw Louis's rich girlfriend 
seem to make plans to take action. We notice that Papillon has a knife with him, and in the middle of the night we watch Papillon carefully tuck money into a small prison wallet. He comments on the ridiculousness to a cellmate. We're really something, aren't we? The only animals in the world that shove things up their ass for survival. Did you say a small prison wallet? It's pretty small. It's like yeah. a bullet casing. It's pretty, to me it was more like a lipstick tube. Yeah. Hmm. That's that's small for a prison wallet, I would think. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think he can I'm fit not, much in a smaller thing. not very familiar. <laughs> I just, just seems uncomfortable well, regardless. You're, <laughs> you're missing out. Julot says that the first time he stuck money up his ass, he almost died, and he had to go to a doctor who stole the money. He notices Papillon's butterfly tattoo and recognizes him as the criminal who got a life sentence for an alleged murder. Papillon being the French word for butterfly. These people are all supposed to be French citizens, or at least formerly French citizens, but like we said, they're all speaking in their regular native tongue as actors. Julot tells Papillon that 40% of these men will die within the year statistically. He says your chances of survival are better if you have lots of money on the outside, like Louis Dega, and he points to the sleeping celebrity counterfeiter across the cell. He also suggests that Louis might get killed before his money can save him, since everyone here knows who he is, and he has the distinctive glasses. They're very easy to recognize. Right, right. Later, as the men eat lunch in the rain on the deck of the ship, Papillon approaches Louis. Louis knows exactly who Papillon is. You're Papillon. You got life for killing a pimp and then had the bad taste to tell the prosecutor you were going to escape and kill him too. I was framed for that murder. I'm innocent. No one is innocent. Papillon warns Dega that everyone on the ship knows who he is and that Dega may have cost them money in the past and they have motivation to kill him. He seems to be offering himself as a bodyguard. Right. It's like the movie My Bodyguard. (laughs) Exactly like that. In their cell later, all the prisoners are blasted with a hose for routine bathing and Papillon pulls Julo aside to suggest an escape plan via boat once they get to French Guiana. His friend is not interested in relying on a partner to escape. In the middle of the night, a guard notices one of the prisoners has killed himself in his hammock and blows a whistle to alert the prison staff. I was like, I, I thought it was like, does, why did somebody throw red paint on this guy? <laughs> it's very, very vibrant blood. I, th- I assumed he was killed by somebody else, but you think he's killed himself? Yeah, because they don't start pilfering him until after, he, like, the guards are already on their way to, like, it's not like someone robbed him and took all of his stuff. They, yeah, okay. Someone just killed him and left him there. And then I a guess. bunch of scavengers took all of his things. Sometime later, Dega gets back in touch with Papillon about a partnership. You keep me alive until we land in Guiana, and I'll underwrite any escape you care to arrange. Escape for me, not for us. Oh, of course I am. I, am. <laughs> I have no intention of uh, even attempting an escape. Ever. That night, the prisoners interested in Dega's money sneak toward him as he sleeps. Papillon is hot on their heels with another knife and slashes one deep across the face. The man's screams draw the guards into the cell, and Papillon slashes the other man across the neck, but not deep enough to kill him, just as a warning. Unfortunately, the guards see him do this, so Papillon is sentenced to a sort of solitary confinement where he is hogtied on a platform in the engine room, drinking water out of a dish by just dipping his face in it. They also, like, release some kind of steam into the room. And I don't know if they're doing that or if that's just a natural just function of the, of the room. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Not, not not, on Steve McQueen when the... Oh, when they're breaking up the fight? When they're breaking up oh. the fight. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they'd just turn the hose on again. Oh, yeah, it seemed like it was like very steamy. Yeah. The men stand on the deck of the ship as the three islands of the penal colony appear on the horizon. Papillon doesn't see why swimming to the mainland would be so hard from this distance, and one of the men, Julo, insists that the strong current would force you back to the island. As soon as they dock at St. Laurent... The men will be divided into work camp prisoners and island prisoners. 
Julot points out two men standing on the dock, Richard Farnsworth and a second uncredited actor. Apparently they are former prisoners who have served their time and now work as bounty hunters, hunting any prisoners that try to escape. As they disembark from the ship, Julot begs Papillon for his shiv so that he can slash open his knee. He plans to tumble down the gangplank and appear wounded so that he'll be placed in a hospital with time to plan an escape. The plan works well and he's carried away on a stretcher. The young kid, Lario, stares longingly out to sea, and as soon as they are unloaded, he runs into the water where he's shot once in the head by one of the prison guards. We get a disturbing insert of blood pulsing out of his skull as he floats in the water. As the men are marched through town, we see the locals of the island going about their day. In one shot, we see a taper resting on a water bucket and accidentally tipping it over. Do you guys remember the last time we saw tapers? Oh, man. I feel like it would have to take place in like central or south america i think it might have been africa might have been africa is that where they're native to i don't i don't remember if they say specifically where they are in the film i'll give you a clue we kill them bash their heads in that doesn't help me with big bones oh 2001 2001 a space odyssey i thought you were the animals that the apes are killing with the bones is it Yeah. yeah oh Apparently, the real-life Papillon was a big fan of these creatures. <laughs> I thought you were quoting them. I'm like, yeah, who, who like, says that like, in the movie? <laughs> we kill them? No, I'm saying we as a species. Apes together them. strong. Yeah. That's what, that's what Bright Tapers together weak. <laughs> Tapers apart delicious. <laughs> <laughs> that's where he invented tapas. Tapas. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Small tapers. Plate. When I was your age, I would have killed for tapa, tapa, tapas. <laughs> Papillon nudges Louis to direct his attention to a collection of prostitutes overlooking the prisoner parade, but it's unlikely they'll ever have an opportunity to engage these services. Along the way, men are collapsing here and there, and one of them lands hard enough on a chicken moving through the scene to apparently break its neck, because you just see the chicken fluttering sideways in a circle. No. They're marched through the gate into Penitentiaire de Saint Laurent, the penitentiary of Saint Laurent. In the center of the prison, their new commandant addresses the incoming prisoners beside an enormous guillotine. He explains the punishment for escape attempts. First attempt is two years in solitary, or sometimes, as we've already seen, a bullet in the skull. Second attempt, five more years of solitary. Like, that kid got shot in the head. Mm -hmm. And what we see from McQueen later is so much worse than what this kid did, which was like stumble out into the tide. Um, It's weird that they just shot him in the head right away. I guess to make an example. The man pulls the cord on the guillotine to show the punishment for more extreme infractions. Make the best of what we offer you, and you will suffer less than you deserve. When the men change into their new uniforms, Louis is approached by a squinty prisoner in a straw hat, offering him a connection that can arrange to keep him on an island prison and out of the work camp. Papillon heckles the guy for pussyfooting around on a price, so he asks 500 for Louis and 1500 for Papillon. So I get a little confused here um, because this makes me think that going to the islands is preferable. Is preferable. Yes. Mm-hmm. But then later they talk about how horrible Devil's Island is. So it's, I guess it's an inescapable prison. Okay. Which is what's terrible about it. Okay, so they they would prefer to go to one of those. Yes, because if they stay here at Saint Laurent, then they're going to get put on work duty, swamp duty. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He made trouble. Yes, indeed he did. Nevertheless, I'll give you twelve fifty for the both of us. Now you take it or leave it as you wish. The man leaves it, but Papillon follows him away and drags him back to the negotiating table. 
To save face, Louis ups the price to 2000 but asks for two pairs of comfortable shoes, which would obviously not bridge the gap mm -hmm. from 1250 to 2000 but he's just trying to make amends. Papillon reminds Louis that he will have to use the restroom to make the payment, and the old trustee asks for payment on delivery. It's like, why don't you wash your ass cash yeah. before you give it to me? <laughs> How much money has Louis Degas smuggled well, in Well, I, I think some of it's on him, but I think a lot of it is on the outside that it's that his wife and attorney are taking care of on his behalf. But they get him money into They don't the have prison? to send it to him. They, they send it to a representative of that person on the outside. Okay. In the middle of the night, the prisoners are awoken and staged in the courtyard. One screaming prisoner is wrestled out of his cell and strong-armed into the guillotine by a pair of guards. The man is being presented as an example to the rest of them, and the old trustee takes this opportunity for a quick reminder. Mr. Degas, did you get the money? On the way back to their cells, gunfire is heard nearby, and a guard mentions an escape attempt from the neighboring hospital, presumably Julot. During check-in, the trustee clears his throat to indicate to the officer sorting prisoners that Louis has paid his fee, but another guard steps in, excited to meet Louis in person. I'm extremely glad to see you. Why, thank you, sir. Uh, of course, if the circumstances were so... My family lost everything they had in counterfeit national defense bonds. Oh, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that, sir. Uh, even so, buying them was a tribute to their patriotism, wouldn't you say? And you're Mr. Degas' friend. Despite having paid his due, Louis and Papillon are ordered transported to Kilo 40 together. We cut right to the men as they're forced to chop down trees in a swamp. Do you guys recall the last time we saw prisoners forced to do make work in a swamp? Oh, was it, um... Uh, you going to say the longest yard? It was oh, the longest yard, there yep. you go. A man collapses under the stress of the work and Papillon tries to help him up and is whipped by a guard for stopping in his own responsibilities. When another guard raises a rifle, Papillon warns everyone to duck, but it turns out the man was shooting at a gator that surfaced in the swamp. Then, the men are chastised for ducking. Eventually, Papillon is ordered to select another prisoner to collect the quote-unquote dead gator, so of course he invites Louis along for the ride. The gator spins around at them over and over, clearly not dead, but also never snapping at them because his mouth is clearly tied shut. This is probably because it's the lead actors in almost mm -hmm. every shot of this uh, wrestling match, except for the last widest shot of the scene. I still think it's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. I still think I mean, I would do damage. it. <laughs> I would do this for sure if they were like, yeah, we tied his mouth shut. There's no way he'll bite you. And it's like, he probably just would have got me and killed me, but I would have done it. The men stop for lunch and see a passed out prisoner on the ground as they eat. They sit beside a prisoner named Clusio who recognizes Louis on sight. How come you ended up in a place like this? Favoritism? Papillon finally comments on the unconscious prisoner. Friend's kind of quiet, isn't he? He's dead. He jammed a piece of wood down his throat and choked himself to death. The men split the dead guy's rations. They see Clusio take a quinine tablet to fend off malaria, and he offers each of them an additional tablet. Later, during a rainstorm, Clusio mentions a cakewalk job collecting blue morpho butterflies for a local trader. He arrives by boat, and Papillon seems particularly interested in a vessel that arrives and leaves the island on a regular basis. Clusio catches his meaning. I handle a boat pretty good myself, you know. Yeah? We see the men running through trees with nets, swatting at butterflies and making little progress. Louis's gentler approach is a more fruitful one as he pinches them off the branches. He delivers one to a trader and then teaches Papillon his technique. At the table turning one in, Papillon, whose name is literally French for butterfly, asks where the man sends these bugs, and then makes a more blatant offer, 
pulling open his shirt to reveal the butterfly tattoo on his chest. How much he charges in this one as far as Panama? The man calls a guard over to scare Papillon and force his price up. Papillon claims to have 2,000 on him right now, and by the time the guard arrives, the trader just brags about the amazing specimen Papillon just turned in. The trader counters with 4K, half now, half later. Papillon is instructed to meet this man at the big tree half a mile down the river one week from tonight. Unfortunately, this very night, it rains hard on the men, and Louis wakes up Papillon to announce that he's changed his mind about escaping because he won't survive here. Papillon and Louis are put in charge of carrying a dead prisoner, and when they realize it's their friend Julot with his neck slit wide open, Louis steps away to vomit, and a guard starts beating on him for stopping in his work, stepping on his glasses in the process. The attack is brutal enough that Papillon is forced to intervene and tosses a pot of boiling water on the guard. More guards open fire on Papillon as he retreats, and he actually swims a decent distance away. Search parties are sent looking for him in shifts, but turn up nothing. That night, Louis fixes his glasses as he grapples with the knowledge that Papillon may have just died to protect him. Papillon arrives at the big tree where his boat out of town leaves from, but he's obviously way ahead of schedule. The manhunters are here and put guns to his neck, and he's brought back to the prison to serve a couple years of solitary confinement. So time time moves quickly through this movie. Yeah. Like, you don't always realize... I mean, sometimes they'll say, well, it's, you're, you know, you've, it's been five years. Yeah. You know, like, but uh, I'm assuming that they've already been there for... Sometime, yeah. Yeah, at least a year, maybe. Yeah, probably. The rule here is silence, and the cell is small, a mere five steps across. I obviously have no prison experience, but I would vastly prefer this situation to cutting logs in a swamp and wrestling gators all day, especially with people shooting guns over my head constantly. I think it's more of a psychological torture to be left in solitary for two years. Yeah, I, I, would, I think I would do better at that than the psychological torture <laughs> of the other side. A whistle sounds, and he is instructed wordlessly to hand a pot through a small window in the wall. It comes back with his meal inside, with a side of cockroach. When the knock comes on the door, and he hands out the buckets, yeah, and then new buckets come in, he reaches into the big wooden bucket, and I was like, no, don't reach in there. Yeah. I thought it was the poop bucket. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are you don't doing? Don't touch that. What are you doing? <laughs> Another whistle invites the men to stick their heads out the window in their door to receive haircuts. The elderly prisoner in the next cell over asks Papillon how he looks, and he lies that the man looks fine. He looks like Philip Baker Hall's great-grandfather. <laughs> how do we look? There are no mirrors on this side. <laughs> Sometime later, Papillon's meal arrives with a couple extra items, half a coconut and a note from Louis. Chew the coconut well. Then swallow the pulp one each day for strength. My thoughts are with you. Squinter, take a hobby son of a bitch. Papillon chomps right into the thing, shell and all, which I didn't realize you could even do. But he looks to be in heaven. I don't think, I don't think it's he... got the shell on it. Like, if you, when you peel a coconut like that, like, it's still got, like, a little bit of the brown on the outside. Oh, it's does like it? the, in, the inner skin of that shell. Oh. Either way, I thought you could only eat the white part and the liquid inside. I was wrong. When they're summoned out for their next haircut, the man next door doesn't stick his head out. One night, Papillon spots a bat in his cell, and in the morning he's bleeding from a bite on his foot. A whistle calls them to their next meal, and when he reaches in for the coconut, he finds a live crab in its place, <laughs> which pinches him hard on the finger. He's called through the window in the door and interrogated by the warden about his coconut rations. <laughs> like, how did they know that he was going to reach in blindly? Yeah, like, I mean... As far as they know, he's just getting a free live crab for lunch today. Unless you tell us who sent them, your rations will be cut in half. 
How can I tell you who sent me stuff I, I didn't get? What stuff? It was dumb of Louis to even bother with a note, because now Papillon has to lie for the man. Before, he could have just pretended that he thought the coconut was part of his rations. Mm -hmm. Even just a note that said shush would have communicated that he shouldn't mention them yeah. without allowing him to narc on anyone. He's ordered on half rations. That night, he has a surreal dream. He's walking through a desert toward a row of men, the judge and jury in the trial that sent him here, falsely accused of a pimp's murder. I didn't kill that pimp! You couldn't get anything on me! And you framed me! That is quite true. But your real crime has nothing to do with a pimp's death. Well then, what is it? Yours is the most terrible crime a human being can commit. I accuse you of a wasted life. Guilty. The penalty for that is death. Guilty. It's also the penalty for a well-spent life. Everyone dies. <laughs> he turns and walks away from the men, and we cut back to his cell where Papillon's window and bars are being blocked with metal plates condemning him to pitch-black darkness here. Back at the regular prison, Louis is informed that they have caught wind of his coconut deliveries. Louis is certain that Papillon will turn him in to avoid dying, but Clusio is less sure. I like that line where he's like, you would turn me in, right? And he's like, yeah, but I'm not Papillon. Mm -hmm. A guard walking the track above the solitary cells peeks through a crack at Papillon MacGyvering a meal from all the millipedes and butterflies that he's caught in his cell. Sometime later, they remove the metal plates and Papillon has to hide under his bed to escape the nauseating brightness. Later, we see him crawling weakly across the floor to catch a beetle in his cell when he's summoned back into the hall. They ask him again for a name and again he refuses. You starve. You should see yourself. I was born skinny. Then you'll die. We see the cell in Papillon's blurry POV, pacing back and forth, back and forth. His hair is starting to turn gray, and before one morning haircut, he asks the next prisoner over how he looks. He looks well. He remembers lying to the old man, and back in his cell, a tooth falls out of his mouth before he collects his waste bucket and bangs it against the door to get the guard's attention. That's 30 days more, pimp killer. I want to see the warden. I want to talk to him. I have something I want to tell him. He peels the note from Louis out of a pinhole in the wall and seems ready to hand over the name, but when he gets out there, he changes his mind again. I, I like that people are, like, really uppity about him being a pimp killer. Yeah, like, am I supposed to be embarrassed about that? He's a fucking <laughs> pimp. Who cares? He's like, you killed a pimp. It's like, it's like. It's you like, should be embarrassed. Yeah. You killed a different kind of criminal. I, I had the name. Honest to God, I, I'm, I, I must be light. I must be lightheaded or something because I, I'm trying. I'm trying. I, I, can't, I can't remember. Honest to God, I can't. I can't. I can't remember. It's not there, Mr. Prosecutor. Oh, no, it's, it's not. It's not there. No. he's dying they close the door and papillon eats the note to protect louis forever in case he ever gets this desperate again 
We cut back to France and a full band plays as Papillon and Louis are driven down a main street as the stars of a parade. Roses are tossed into the car with them. Suddenly, everyone disappears except two men in the distance. Lario and Julo stand in the street and wave smiling to their friend. As he races toward them in slow motion, the camera suddenly does a corkscrew spin and stops upside down. Closer in Papillon's perspective, he can see his friends are pale blue, drained of all blood with sunken eyes. Then he matches them in paleness. You're dead. This scene is so fucking cool. That I, first camera move is so like modern. Mm. It, it, it really is. Uh, I forget what I was watching recently that did it. Was it Midsummer? I don't remember. It was somebody was driving and the camera flipped, but it was um, it was nauseating in that moment and it's nauseating mm. in this moment. I cannot stand when the cameras Inverts flip completely like that. over. Well, I think that's part of the point is that they're supposed to be like, hey, you think it's a party, but it's fucking not. And yeah. everything gets weird on you. But it's definitely disorienting, but it just looks so well done because it's in super slow-mo so this camera must have been just spinning high speed mm -hmm. as it's coming down well i was gonna say i don't know how they did it because obviously cameras in the 70s were considerably larger and heavier right, right, than right. they are now so they must have had some crazy crane thing going yeah, on. yeah but it, it looks it looks really great papillon wakes in his cell to the creaking of his door and learns that his two years in solitary confinement are over as he shuffles toward the exit he collapses in a hallway on the outside, Louis is now a trustee, and he spots them carting Papillon out of solitary. They stand him up against a gate, and Louis walks over in tears to hug his friend. Take advantage, I'm in handcuffs. Which is the last vestige of a vague homosexual relationship between the men, more heavily insinuated in the William Goldman draft. I was going to say, like, the, the being in parade together was, was pretty obvious. <laughs> yes. They love each other. We love each other. That's from Little Darlings. Papillon is placed in the infirmary until he's well enough to return to Gen Pop. Gen Papillon. <laughs> a hospital volunteer enters with a bowl of hot soup with meat sent by Louis. As soon as he gets a taste of it, Papillon grabs the spoon to feed himself. The volunteer introduces himself as Maturette. Papillon wakes to Louis sitting next to him in the hospital. Louis admits that he should have given them his name. Papillon asks how he escaped the work camps, and he says he bought the warden a new house in exchange for a transfer to the trustee program. He's now the chief clerk. He says that his sentence has been reduced thanks to the efforts of his wife and lawyer, and he asked them to look into Papillon's case as well. One of the principal witnesses against you may be willing to change his story for a price. Louis suggests a path to release within a few years, but Papillon passes on the offer in exchange for a boat to escape on now. He's not going to play by their rules, and he won't stay a second longer than he absolutely has to. In the middle of the night, a man enters the infirmary and sits down beside Maturette. He places a rose in the man's mouth and then reaches into his pants for a moment before leaving. The next day, Clusio is led into the hospital and put in the bed beside Papillon. Apparently, he rubbed castor beans in his eyes to fuck his face up to get him checked in here. Louis has a line on a boat and Papillon and Clusio are set to leave together. During a checkup with an x-ray doctor, the man describes a 14-foot boat staged on the island and where to find it. To prove his trustworthiness, the doctor mentions that he killed his wife and four young children, which is not the ringing endorsement <laughs> he thinks it is. But he's just like, I'm all about the money. I killed my whole family. And it's like, oh, don't see what those have to do with each other, but great. Uh, thanks for the boat tip. You double-cross me, I'll kill you. Of course. I would consider that a favor. 
A very great favor. Okay, then if you don't double cross me, yeah. I'll kill you. <laughs> I was going to say, once again, not helping your case, Doc. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the infirmary, Papillon sits down for a shave for Macherette and offers a couple thousand dollars to show the man who put a rose in his mouth a good time. He puts his knife to Papillon's throat and aggressively turns the offer down. He's not a prostitute. Later, Macherette changes the deal a bit and says he will do what Papillon asks in exchange for a seat on the boat. He also announces that, unlike Papillon, he wasn't framed for his murder, and he is not a man to be trifled with. Louis meets Papillon at the well to announce the boat is set for Papi, Macherette, and Clusio to leave tonight. Louis remains confident that his wife will orchestrate his legal release momentarily. That night, Louis is handing out concessions for a small concert for the prison staff. We see Papillon and Clusio remove a leg each from their cots and wrap them in small blankets. Macherette knocks on the door and waves the abusive man into the room. So this is what I was saying earlier. This yeah. guy is the turnkey and he's... Probably part of the trustee he, program. Yeah, then. he's a prisoner because yeah. he's yeah. in the same um, stripy suit as right. everyone else. Yeah. But he has permissions to come in and out yeah. to do tasks. Macherette leads this man by the hand through their room until suddenly kneeing him in the crotch and then Papillon and Clusio beat the man unconscious with their cot legs. See, but so you really didn't have to do anything. Well, like, they, they needed his uniform to leave the room. No, no, but the, but the guy was saying, like, is like I'm not a prostitute. Like, right, 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 yes. Well, I think anything. that was the alternate plan. The first plan was take this guy into oh, another okay. room, yeah. keep him And busy. then he was like, how about instead of distracting him, I'll lead him near you guys, and then we just beat the fuck out of him. <laughs> I like, like this all plan. right, fine, that works. I thought that was the plan the whole time. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. Papillon quickly trades outfits with the unconscious trustee, and by the time the next guard steps in to check on him, he thinks that he's seeing the trustee drag a prisoner along the floor, and then they knock out this guard too. The three of them continue moving around the prison, knocking guards unconscious one at a time and trading into their clothes. Clusio is running way behind the others and is eventually discovered and clocked in the face with the butt of a rifle. The guard that took out Clusio aims a rifle at Papillon and Macherette climbing a wall, so Louis smashes a chair over the man's head and tackles him to the ground. The first guard they knocked out regains consciousness and saw what Louis did. He calls for more guards and Louis realizes that he has just sacrificed his upcoming release for his friend and decides now to take Clusio's place on the departing boat. Yeah, so when uh, Diga knocks out the guard, he grabs his plate of drinks again and starts trying to like go like, oh, yeah, pretend well, I didn't see well, anything. I, I wasn't a part of what happened yeah. here. But it turns out that that shitty trustee saw him. Louis is limping on the other side of the wall and says he twisted his ankle. They climb aboard a small boat with a ferryman and head out onto the water. The next morning, we see them pilot the craft through dense trees to the actual getaway boat that they've paid for. They barely have a moment to check it out before the ferryman is rowing away from them. Papillon steps into the boat they just bought, and his foot goes right through it. Goddamn boat's no good! Look at it! I'll kill that bastard! Son of a bitch is made out of kindling! So is my leg. Louis takes the opportunity here to admit that he didn't twist his ankle, he broke his leg. Macherette asks for Papillon's help resetting it. Papillon is furious to be put in this situation, and Louis is quick to point out that he just saved Pappy's life by tackling a guard with a gun. He probably would have missed me anyway. Macherette does some kind of Vulcan neck pinch to knock out Louis <laughs> yeah. so that they can fix his leg without fighting him. I thought for sure he just killed yeah. him. I was like, oh, I guess exit rap for Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. yeah. You're at the wrong end. Oh, great. Okay, so which way are we going? Oh, he's just unconscious. Okay, well, sure. I guess then we'll try and fix his leg. Afterward, Papillon creeps toward a nearby bird call hoping for supper and walks right into a trap. 
A man played by John Quaid with a big face tattoo and credited as Masked Breton seems to be fully briefed on their situation and the bad boat. Papillon leads this man back to his friends and he reveals that he's been here a few days and killed the manhunters that were waiting for them here. He reveals their bodies tucked under a nearby bush. He tells them the boat scam has been going on for years. If I were them, I would burn this boat down so that instead of stepping off the first boat, the next guys will just kill the ferryman and take his boat. The tattoo-faced man instructs them to build a raft from the bamboo in this area and offers a tow to the nearby Pigeon Island where they might buy a better boat. On the island, Papillon approaches a hut and announces himself and their situation. A voice invites him inside. He finds four men with leprosy sitting around a table. The leader of the men offers Papillon a puff of his cigar, and he accepts the offer, puffing away. How did you know I have dry leprosy? That it isn't contagious? I didn't. <laughs> Do you remember the last time we saw Anthony Zerby sh- leading With a, a bunch shadowy- of shit on his face? <laughs> leading a shadowy group of people? That would be the Omega Man, I believe. The men seem impressed, and he is immediately in their good graces. The next morning, the leper colony prepares a boat and collects a bit of money to help send the men on their way, and in the light of day, around the edges of the leprosy makeup, we can barely make out that this is actor Anthony Zerby. Oh, you can, I mean, I can tell by his voice. Yeah, for sure. But I I like that he comes back and says, we kind of took a collection around the- We feel bad about you guys. (laughs) Yeah, you guys have it worse. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think that that's that's such a great contrast. It's like, yeah, you guys- yeah, how shitty is your situation if the lepers are like, oh, poor guys? Yeah, we got you some money. We collected a bunch of gold. We want you to uh, make it into a cross and keep it in your church wall. <laughs> don't, if you see Hal Holbrook, don't don't trust him. Yeah. If you're going to catch leprosy, it's better to catch it from money than from people. Papillon accepts the money and then shakes the man's hand before leaving. Some ways offshore, they're caught in a storm that snaps the mast and crushes Louis's same leg again. The next night, Louis smells something concerning and realizes it's probably coming from his rebroken leg. I would guess gangrene. Well, and they said it was, he said it would take like two weeks. Right. To get, so they're going to be on this boat for two weeks. That's the plan. See, that's what I mean about this movie. It moves time. You have no concept of But it's time. also two hours and 40 some minutes. So it's like, you can't just keep going and have a seven hour movie so that. It, no, no, no. But, but I mean, like. The movie makes it almost appear that they're on the boat for maybe a day. Sure, yeah. You know, and then it's like, oh, no, he said it was going to take two weeks. Yeah. Papillon has to hold Louis down while Macherette takes a red-hot blade to his leg and slashes open a small wound. I thought they were going to take the whole foot off, but I guess they just had to open it up. I'm not really clear what they're doing here. The next morning, the boat makes landfall on another small island. I was trying to figure out where they're going because the guy says that he's sending them off to Honduras. Mm -hmm. Which makes no sense to me geographically to go from French Guiana to Honduras because there's a lot of countries in between. I think this is supposed to be Venezuela, but they never say specifically where they made landfall here. Okay. Cause, yeah, I was going to say, that I, I don't know where they end up and I yeah. don't know its relationship to French Guiana. Yeah, we're not getting titles to tell us <laughs> right, where, right. where I they mean, are. I mean, I suppose that's they don't know where they are right, either. Right, yeah. They want um, us to feel like we're in their situation. <laughs> I, they're speaking, it seems like they're speaking Spanish. Yes. Papillon and Macherette carry Louis on shore, but they are interrupted by armed guards. They drop Louis in the sand, and Papillon hits one of the guards in the chest with an axe before disappearing <laughs> into the woods. The man the guards abandoned to chase Papillon, credited as Antonio and played by Gregory Sierra, sees a chance to sneak away as well. 
He catches up with Papillon and asks for help getting untied before leading him to safety. He gives Papillon a leaf to chew on, presumably a coca leaf, mm. and then we see the manhunt underway. They duck behind trees as guards drop off groups of indigenous trackers. As they continue running, Papillon's new friend Antonio runs right into a spike trap that tips off the ground and stabs him through the chest. Do you guys recall the last time we saw men in the wilderness stabbed through the chest with a spike trap? Raiders? More recent. See, I was going to say, uh, my thing was going to be, do you remember the last time a, a Spanish-speaking man led a man through and got hit by a spike trap? It's in the South, the American South. Oh, uh, Southern Comfort. That's right. Mm. Papillon learns the exact wrong lesson from this example and starts sprinting carelessly through the jungle. But maybe it works like when Joe Pesci got fed up in Home Alone and blasted through a bunch of traps at once. Right, right, they right. They aren't built for people moving quickly. Suddenly, Papillon is hit from all sides by one, two, three sedative darts. Three darts is too much! (laughs) (laughs) I was laughing so hard. (laughs) I feel like this is definitely what that's from. They're definitely referencing this moment Mm. because it's in slow motion the same way and he's doing the same thing like trying to pull him out of his arms. He tries to pluck these darts from his skin and then plunges off a small cliff, backflopping into the river below. Allegedly, McQueen performs his own stunt here, but it's difficult to confirm in the footage because his face is never really pointed at camera, and it's fairly wide. When he wakes up, he's laying on a deck of sticks on a beach in a village of the indigenous people. He's presented with a plate of fruits by a topless native, and I would have assumed that this was another French parade fantasy, and that ghosts of all my newly dead friends were going to spoil it Mm -hmm. again. The native woman seems bonded to him, and they swim and walk the beach together hand in hand. The tribe is a pearl-trading tribe, and we see their chief doing business with a visitor. Later, as Papillon walks the village, we see the man trading for pearls a moment ago has been killed and strung up by his feet. Papillon is summoned to the chief's hut, and the man points to his butterfly tattoo, seemingly requesting one for himself. Presumably, Papillon didn't tattoo this on himself. (laughs) But for some reason, he is put in the position of replicating the tattoo for the chief. Yeah. Could you even imagine being put in this position and be like, you might not be able to draw worth yeah. anything. Mm. And you're like, I have to copy this thing on my chest, freehand, Onto first him. time I've ever tattooing, I don't draw. Yeah. And if I don't do it well, they might kill me. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, they, they clearly tattoo themselves, like they right. have a yeah. tattoo culture. So why wouldn't you just hire the person in the village who does yeah. the tattoos just to do the tattoo? I'll stand here as like mm-hmm. a reference for yeah. you. I'll nude even. Whatever you need. You don't have to be nude. I, I mean, I assume that the butterfly tattoo was the reason he wasn't turned back in. Oh, maybe. Because or, or the reason that they didn't kill him and string him up with that other guy. Well, because, uh, you know, the the the... Honduran or Venezuela, whatever government yeah. this is that's de- deploying these trackers. They're clearly paying for... Right, for results. Yeah. So why would the trackers use their darts and then just bring him into the village? Yeah. After hours and hours of work, a butterfly is taking shape on the man's chest. It looks like trash when he's done, but he just walks back to his own hut with his girlfriend, satisfied with the job. In the morning, the entire village is gone. All they left behind was a small satchel of pearls to pay for the tattoo on their way out. We cut to a bus moving down a dirt road, and inside we see Papillon seated amongst the locals. They come to a roadblock, and an officer steps aboard and asks for everyone's papers. Papillon sneaks out the back window of the bus. A nun asks for donations from the bus, and Papillon offers her a pearl and climbs into her wagon, indicating that he is paying his way. He's taken back to the monastery and proclaims his innocence again to the Mother Superior. 
She wonders why she should trust him not to steal from them, and he offers the rest of the pearls as collateral until he leaves. Early the next morning, the mother superior sends guards from the prison into his room, and she's able to live with herself by proclaiming that if he were truly a good man, that God will surely look after him. Right, he's always doing that. Mm -hmm. That's why people are always asking, how come God only lets bad things happen to bad people? <laughs> the guards smash his feet with clubs, and then we jump forward five years to Papillon's second release from solitary confinement. As he shuffles into the courtyard, we see Macherette carried out of the building on a stretcher seconds from death. Poppy. They carry him away, and we cut to Papillon, watching from the end of a dock as a boat takes Macherette's body out to sea and dumps him in the water where he is quickly gnawed apart by sharks. So presumably, this was his first escape attempt. Why did he get five years he instead got, of two? He got two for his first. This was his second. No, the other guy. Oh, Macherette? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it should have been his Unless first. he wasn't also in solitary at this moment and he's just on his deathbed regardless. Well, it is the courtyard, though, in that the silence right. area. It makes but, it seem like it is the solitary So un unless he... Maybe something happened that we didn't see. Or or he's been on the run for three years. Maybe, yeah. But I, think, I, I feel like he got shot on that beach and went down. We never see what happens to him. Yeah, and they leave Louis in the sand, so we don't see what happens to him either. Technically speaking, when Papillon got his second solitary confinement... It was supposed to be for eight years, but he only served 19 months of it because he was let out for an exercise session one day and one of the guard's daughters was present and fell in a river and he jumped in after her and saved her. And so they said, you're done with your solitary confinement. So that's what happened in the real story. It looks like Papillon has been officially released from the prison fully, but he is relegated to a house on a cliff overlooking the ocean. He notices someone in glasses watching him from the bushes, but he doesn't pursue the person. Well, I don't, I don't think that he's released, but... Um, well, they, they make it clear earlier. They say you, you'll you serve your sentence and then you'll stay in this prison for your sentence over again. Mm -hmm. And that after that point, you just can't leave the area. Yeah. You can't leave French French Guiana. Yeah, because the, the New Island, the, there are guards there, but they tell them, yeah, you can do whatever you want because yeah. uh, there's no way you can get out of here. Anyway. Yeah, they're kind of free-range prisoners. Papillon sits down on a stone bench and is chastised for it. How dare you sit there? This bench belongs to Captain Dreyfus. Who are you to sit on that bench? Nobody. That's right. <laughs> Nobody. Do you know who I am? At first I thought the implication was that this is Captain Dreyfus. <laughs> but Dreyfus was dead ten years and buried before Papillon was released to this island. Captain Dreyfus was a French army officer, falsely accused of treason and sentenced to the same Devil's Island prison decades before Papillon, but his innocence was proven and leaked to the press, eventually granting him a full pardon of French knighthood and command of various artillery units. As the name Dreyfus might suggest, he is in fact a distant relative of both Julia Louis Dreyfus and Julie Dreyfus, who plays Sophie Fatal in Kill Bill Volume 1. So yeah, I was going with Richard Dreyfus. Nope, he's not related at all. Did you know that Julia Louis Dreyfus was like... A relative of, like, long French important family. No. Her father was, like, a multi-billionaire. I had no idea. Papillon spots the bespectacled man spying on him again, and this time he follows the man. Of course, when he gets closer, he finds Louis Dega, who runs away. He follows Louis to a small farm where he feeds his pigs. Louis. I wish you hadn't come here. They split a crayfish meal, and Louis explains that his wife left him for his attorney, explaining why he's still here. 
Papillon starts talking about their time in prison, and suddenly, Louis jumps from the table with a sword to shout ghosts out of his garden. Papillon looks disturbed by the scene, but Louis reassures him. I know your house. There's no ghost there. Why aren't you living there? Why are you living in the house with the ghosts? I kind of like them. <laughs> Looking out at the water again, Papillon tosses in the remnants of a coconut and begins planning his next escape. He checks around before sitting on Dreyfus's bench again and then decides it's time to go. But I like that he's like, better make sure that crazy dude's <laughs> yeah. not around again. He returns to Louis's farm and asks if Louis will join him in an escape. He noticed that the coconut he threw floated. But presumably he can think of other things on this island that a raft could be constructed. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, some things are not as dense as water. <laughs> what also floats? Apples, bread, nope. <laughs> very small rocks. <laughs> Perfect. He presents the plan to Louis, who isn't impressed with just floating for two days, hoping the current takes them the right way. Papillon fills a test sack of coconuts and throws it off a cliff, and they watch it carried a moment and then bashed against the rocks. After watching the tides alone, Papillon recognizes a pattern of seven waves that culminate in a much larger swell that will carry them safely past the rocks. We see them at the top of the cliff again, counting the waves down, and when he gets to the seventh, Louis admits he can't leave, but Papillon understands. He doesn't even want Papillon to go because he's seen his friend risk his life too many times. You'll be killed. You know that. Maybe. Please don't do it. Also, they're friends. Like, yeah. like it's like I, I love. It's like I love you, man. Don't yeah. go. But it's also like, just come with me, then, idiot. <laughs> Stop shouting at ghosts. <laughs> Get on your coconut boat. <laughs> we we made boat. We made two coconut boats. Why did I make a second boat canut? <laughs> <laughs> That's not right. Coca boat. That's better. <laughs> they hug and kiss. Papillon throws down his coconut raft and then dives in after it. An insane dozen-story jump from the cliff to the water performed by an actual person, as is made clear by the motion of the arms and legs on the way down. This is insane. Yeah, because like, he cannot... landed so close to the rocks. I can't believe anybody would do this, because there is no way they could guarantee you this guy wouldn't get bashed against the rocks with yeah. the waves that are down here. Yeah, not at all. Of course, this stunt was performed by Dar Robinson, who we've seen quite recently as the biker who rode off the aircraft carrier at the end of Magnum Force, and before that, on our schedule, doubling Henry Silva falling out of a skyscraper window in Sharky's machine. Papillon reaches his raft and paddles past the rocks and out to sea. Louis cries to see his friend leaving. As he floats away, a camera flies over him and he shouts, Hey, you bastards! I'm still here! Unless I'm mistaken, beneath the raft here, I think I see the legs of a crew member pulling it along in the water. The voice of director Franklin J. Schaffner reads an epilogue. Papillon made it to freedom. And for the remaining years of his life, he lived a free man. This, the infamous penal system in French Guiana, did not survive him. We get a quick slideshow of photographs of the abandoned prison, half reclaimed by the forest. The biggest change from the book is that Louis was not as big a part of the mm. story. He was he was not actually present for any of the escape attempts. He was he was not partnered with Papillon in these efforts. But I feel it's a good I, I feel it was a good move. Yes, absolutely. Like you, you need like you know Shawshank Redemption, like you you need another character's perspective. Yeah. There was a remake in 2017. Charlie Hunnam plays Papillon and Rami Malek plays Louis, but it feels more like they're trying to play McQueen and Hoffman than the original characters. It premiered at TIFF and it got a limited release in 2018. It's a rough watch because movies are bad now, <laughs> and every shot is a mid-shot with a green screen background, and the writing is just on the nose and atrocious throughout. Like, it's really a rough watch. But, like, for example, there's... So when, when Julo, like, 
he asks McQueen for the knife. He slashes his knee open. He mm. falls down the gangplank. In the other movie, the guy just like jumps down and like falls off the boat. And then when they're pulling him away in a stretcher, he looks up at Charlie Hunnam and he gives him a big wink. Mm. And then Charlie Hunnam shakes his head smiling like, oh, you sly dog. And it's like, none of this is necessary. This is just obnoxious the way you're doing it. Um, but yeah, it's the only thing that's kind of neat about it is that they go through the the backstory of how uh papillon ended up imprisoned but i can see why this movie took it out because it has nothing to do with the story because mm-hmm. it's a story about a wrongly accused guy getting out of jail and that's all there is to it um, but we see him actually framed in the other version but yeah that's papillon i i like this movie i've always liked this movie um it feels like these two guys are from different eras of film, mm-hmm. and so it's mm-hmm. interesting to see them partnered in this way, where they, they where there's doesn't you don't feel the age difference between them in this story because Hoffman is aged up, and McQueen yeah. is playing a 25 year old later in his life. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of like Hoffman is is correct at the beginning, and right. McQueen is young, but then in the end, they's like less makeup on McQueen, more makeup. On yeah, exactly. Hoffman. Yeah, uh, I had never seen this before. I feel like uh, it's one of those movies that I've always meant to see but never did. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was long, definitely long. Um, we definitely spend a lot of time with in, and I don't I don't know if I would cut too much if I if I was like trimming From the it solitary di- stuff. Yeah, if I was trimming some of it down um, because it already like I was saying throughout throughout the podcast is that. Uh, it's sped it, up a lot. It's sped up a lot. Like you, you just don't have a grasp of how much time. And and I don't want obnoxious title cards to say like two right, years right. later, five but, years later. But I do, I do love how what what we see is the the first stay, the mm. two year stay, and it feels so long. And I think McQueen is doing a hell of a job selling the complete breakdown of his body and everything mm. and his spirit over that time. So then when we realize he's been in for another five years, after that we're like. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that's so much fucking worse than what we already watched. It was interminable when we saw yeah. it before. And I think that it's great filmmaking, in yeah. my opinion, that we did see nothing of the second stay, but we mm-hmm. know that it's even longer. Yeah. And I think that that's just brilliant. Yeah. Um and I, I too had never seen this before and I actually really liked it. I did not expect to like it. Um I think I have more respect uh for both these actors having seen this movie now. Um they were they were both great, and I think this is like I said earlier the best I've seen Steve McQueen perform. I mean, you literally for for that moment when he's coming out of the second solitary set, you had to pause the movie and be like, well, Steve McQueen is doing an insane job in this movie. Like he mm-hmm. looks like he's been but in that cell for five years. He takes the sixth step, yeah, and you're just you see like the 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 wobble in his legs, but there's also there's like this, you know determination and freedom and all this stuff just in the way that he's walking yeah i think it's a great performance but like you said that both of them are really great in this and they're 100 percent selling it and it's and it's an effortless thing for them because they're yeah. both very very talented actors with rami malik i feel like he always seems like he's acting so hard mm-hmm. like he's like everything seems very effortful like he's just He's concentrating so much on getting the performance right and not enough on feeling like a natural person. It, but especially in, in the remake of this, it was just kind of frustrating to watch him because every single scene is just like, you're like kind of a shitty stand-up doing an impression of Dustin Hoffman. And and I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like seeing this. Yeah, I don't think there's anything I would – like. 
I don't think there's anything I would cut out of this movie. I don't know how you portray this experience with less footage. Yeah. I, and I think actually Great Escape is longer. I think it's like three yeah, hours plus, something like that. But I, I honestly think you would really love it. But Great Escape is also more of an ensemble piece. Man, I went and saw a double feature at the New Beverly of The Great Escape and Rescue Dawn. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it was close to six hours. <laughs> uh, but it was it was great. Steve Zahn's so good in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think that's one of the longest things. I did uh, – I think I did 2001 and Sunshine also, which are both pretty long movies right, right, right. too. But, um, yeah, I think Great Escape and Rescue Dawn was the longest double feature I've done there before. Thumbs up though for sure? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely thumbs up for sure. Our director here was Franklin J. Schaffner. Previously, he directed Planet of the Apes, Patton, Nicholas, and Alexandra. We mentioned yesterday that he was taken off Day of the Dolphin by AFCO head Joe Levine and jumped right into this. So far, we've seen his work directing Boys from Brazil and Sphinx. The writer here was Dalton Trumbo for the the final draft of the screenplay. As I mentioned earlier, we saw him as the commandant at the, the first prison before they leave France. He is a famous novelist and screenwriter with credits back to the mid-30s. He was blacklisted when he wrote Spartacus, and Kubrick graciously offered to credit himself as the screenwriter to avoid controversy until Kirk Douglas told him to fuck off and credit the blacklisted screenwriter. Do you guys recall the last time Kubrick took credit for something because he was not allowed to credit the responsible party? I don't. On 2001 A Space Odyssey, Kubrick could submit a maximum of three people from his four-person VFX team, so he decided to submit only his own name to avoid Mm. favoritism. which resulted in his only Oscar win. Trumbo is the screenwriter of Roman Holiday, a guy named Joe, which Spielberg remade as always. Johnny Got His Gun, adapted from his own novel. Amusingly, his last four credits on IMDb are remakes of Roman Holiday, Guy Named Joe, Johnny Got His Gun, and this. Uh, The second writer here was Lorenzo Semple Jr. He's an action TV writer for series like Batman, Rat Patrol, The Green Hornet. Later, he has screenplay credits on The Parallax View, The Drowning Pool, and The 76 King Kong, and we've heard his words previously in our Flash Gordon review and a custom request for Three Days of the Condor. The novel here came from Henri Cherrier. Other than the Papillon remake, his only other film credit is for the 1971 film Popsy Pop, a.k.a. The Butterfly Affair, a.k.a. The 21 Carat Snatch, about a diamond heist, in which he also appears himself as a diamond thief. Papillon is in the movie playing a diamond thief, and it came out two years before this. He unfortunately passed away during this film's production six months before its release. The original screenwriter, William Goldman, previously wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and The Hot Rock. Later, he writes The Stepford Wives, All the President's Men, Marathon Man, based on his own novel, A Bridge Too Far, Magic, based on his own novel, Princess Bride, allegedly based on his own book, and later, the screenplays of Misery, Memoirs of the Invisible Man, Chaplin, Ghost in the Darkness, and Dreamcatcher, his best film. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, it's, I can't not say it. Yeah. The music here came from Jerry Goldsmith. He was the composer of In Like Flint, The Swarm, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Magic, Alien. For Joe Dante, he scores Gremlins 1 and 2, Explorers, Interspace, Matinee, and The Burbs. Later, he scores The Secret of Nim and Ghost in the Darkness. So far, we've seen his work on The Ballad of Cable Hogue, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Cabo Blanco, Omen 3, Outland, Raggedy Man, Boys from Brazil, and Coma. This was his fourth of seven collaborations with director Schaffner after The Stripper, Planet of the Apes, and Patton, and before Islands in the Stream, The Boys from Brazil, and Lionheart. The cinematographer here was Fred J. Konekamp. He previously lit Patton and Billy Jack. After this, he lights Towering Inferno, Fun with Dick and Jane, and The Swarm. And so far on the show, he has DP'd The Other Side of Midnight, When Time Ran Out, The Hunter, First Family, Carbon Copy, and First Monday in October. 
speaking of first Monday in October, I guess uh, Sandra Day O'Connor just passed away. She was 93. The editor was Robert Swink. After this, he cuts Rooster Cogburn, The Boys from Brazil, Coming in Style, and So Far on the Show Sphinx. Steve McQueen was Henri Papillon Cherrier. He was Tom Horn in The Hunter last season. He's in Great Escape, which is very similar to this. Bullet, The Getaway, The Magnificent Seven, among many others. We've seen him last in The Blob, a film he seems mostly embarrassed by. He doesn't, he doesn't like to talk about that one, or didn't like to talk about that one. Dustin Hoffman played Louis Dega. Amazingly, this is our first appearance for Dustin Hoffman, but we'll have him again next season for Tootsie. He appeared before this in The Graduate, Midnight Cowboy, Little Big Man, and Straw Dogs. Later, he appears in All the President's Men, Marathon Man, an Oscar-winning turn in Kramer vs. Kramer, and he's back next season, as I said, for Tootsie. Later, he's in Ishtar, Rain Man, Dick Tracy, Hook, Outbreak, Wag the Dog, Sphere, I Heart Huckabees, and more recently, he's been the voice of Master Shifu in the Kung Fu Panda films. Hoffman has said that he based his performance here on screenwriter Dalton Trumbo. Victor Jory played the Indian Chief. He was Jonas Wilkerson in Gone with the Wind, Helen Keller's dad in The Miracle Worker, Lamont Cranston, a.k.a. The Shadow, in the 1940 The Shadow, and we saw him last in his final role as Iron Belly in The Mountain Men. This was his second cinematic visit to Devil's Island after 1935's Escape from Devil's Island. <laughs> Don Gordon played Julot. He previously appeared with McQueen as Detective Delgetti in Bullet. Later, he's in ZPG, Fuzz, we saw him last in The Final Conflict, a.k.a. Omen 3. He reunited with McQueen and actor Gregory Sierra the next year in The Towering Inferno. Anthony Zerbe played Toussaint. He was Dog Boy in Cool Hand Luke. We saw him in last year's Patreon review as Rice Whedon in They Call Me Mr. Tibbs, the shitty landlord character. We also saw him as Captain Broughton in The First Deadly Sin last year, and more recently as Matthias in The Omega Man. He is Roger Stewart in The Dead Zone, Milton Crest in License to Kill, and Counselor Hammond in The Matrix Reloaded. Woodrow Parfrey played Clusio. He was Maximus in Planet of the Apes. We saw him as a tobacco executive in Cold Turkey, Mr. Jaffe in Dirty Harry, and so far in the 80s in Carney, Bronco Billy, and Used Cars. Bill Mummy, or Mummy, played Lario. He's probably best known as Lenier, or Lenier, in 108 episodes of Babylon 5. I've never seen that show, so I don't know how you say it. George Caloris played Dr. Chattal, he was Walter Parks Thatcher in Citizen Kane and Dr. Constantine in the 74 murder on the Orient Express. He also starred in 1958's I Accuse, the story of Captain Alfred Dreyfus, who has a bench dedicated to him in this film. Val Avery played Pascal. He was Chief Hallowell in Cobra. He's Sergeant John Frito in the Amityville Horror, Henry in The Magnificent Seven, and we've seen him now as Wendell in Brubaker, Sill in Gloria, Yablonowitz, the corrupt politician in Continental Divide, and the customer of Sai Kwan, the Asian prostitute with green eyes in Sharky's Machine. Gregory Sierra played Antonio. He was Verger in Beneath the Planet of the Apes. He's also Carlos in The Towering Inferno, and Detective Sergeant Amanguale in 35 episodes of Barney Miller. Richard and I saw him in three episodes of MacGyver as three separate characters, all Central American military characters. Mm -hmm. And he was also Julio Fuentes in 12 episodes of Sanford and Son. Vic Tabak played Sergeant, he also played Mel, of Mel's Diner fame, in Scorsese's Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, later adapted into the series Alice, where he reprised the role for another 202 episodes. He's also the voice of Carface in yeah. All Dogs Go to Heaven. I was going to say, that, that's, that's my go-to Vic Tabak. Yeah. It, it's, it's him and Charles Nelson Reilly yeah. as his henchman. <laughs> he previously co-starred opposite McQueen in 68th Bullet. Mills Watson played another guard. He was Gary Pervier in Cujo. 
He's also known for playing sidekicks like the guard here, and later he's an idiot sidekick to Stacy Keach in Up in Smoke, and perhaps most famously as Deputy Perkins in 38 episodes of The Misadventures of Sheriff Lobo. Bring back Sheriff Lobo. <laughs> Ron Sobel played Santini. He was Captain Boots Finch in True Grit. He played Wyatt Earp in an OG Star Trek episode. He also played Pablo Picasso in Pterodactyl Woman from Beverly Hills. <laughs> from the director of Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. <laughs> Barbara Morrison played Mother Superior. She was Mrs. Kipfer in From Here to Eternity. E.J. Andre played Old Khan. He was the Sheik of Hazarath in The Ten Commandments and Merlin in Magic. Merlin, I think, is the guy who teaches Hopkins mm. the trade, and then he takes over. Richard Angarola played the Commandant at the Devil's Island prison, or the St. Laurent prison. He's Chief Two Tongues LeBeau in Jeremiah Johnson. Len Lesser played another guard. He's Uncle Leo in 14 episodes of Seinfeld. Speaking of Julie Louis-Dreyfus. John Quaid played Masked Breton. He was Chola in Every Which Way But Loose and Any Which Way You Can. He's the leader of the biker gang. And we will see him again tomorrow as Riley in The Sting. Fred Sadoff, or Sadoff, played Deputy Warden. He's Lenarcos, the billionaire funding the trip in The Poseidon Adventure. He's the one who's up on deck just telling the captain, no, just crash it as hard as you can into yeah. shit. I don't give a fuck. Liam Dunn played Old Trustee. He was Reverend Johnson in Blazing Saddles and Mr. Hilltop in Young Frankenstein. As soon as I heard him talk, I was like, I can't, I can't hear the Reverend from Blazing Saddles. Yeah. He's also Judge Maxwell in What's Up, Doc? And he was a father in Catch-22, presumably of the dead soldier who Yosarian is asked to stand in for to protect the family's feelings. Like, they have him lay in the bed. They're like, the guy mm. just died. His family just missed him. Can you just pretend to be him for five minutes? And he's like, sure. But the whole time he's like, no, my name's Yosarian. I'm not the person you're looking for. <laughs> like, just blatantly ruining it. Didn't you hear him, Mom? He said his name's Yosarian now. <laughs> Peter Bracco played Doctor. He was Ramon in Spartacus and Colonel Matterson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Richard Farnsworth was one of the Manhunters. He was an uncredited chariot driver in The Ten Commandments and a slave in Spartacus. We've seen him now as John Coble in Tom Horn, Sheriff Poe in Ruckus, Esco Brown in Resurrection, and Wild Bill Hickok in The Legend of the Lone Ranger. He'll show up down the line in The Natural, Misery, and David Lynch's A Straight Story. Anne Byrne Hoffman played Mrs. Degas. She was the actual wife at the time of actor Dustin Hoffman, and she also shows up as Emily in Manhattan. I think that's everything for Papillon. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, you can find all our socials at linktree slash vintagevideopod. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us tomorrow when we'll be discussing The Sting, which IMDb describes like so. Two grifters team up to pull off the ultimate con. We leave you now with the trailer for the sting. In those days, the big con was a dying art. Until a first-class grifter on the lamb from the FBI and a young gaffer from Joliet joined forces to con the big Mick. He's not as tough as he thinks. Neither are we. Paul Newman is Henry Gondorf. There wasn't a con he couldn't run. And there wasn't a sucker he couldn't gaff. Robert Redford is Johnny Hooker, a young grifter with plenty of moxie. Three grand on the red, Jimmy. But he's a sucker for Lady Luck. Tough luck, kid. And a sap for Lady Love. Thanks for the big evening, Hooker. Next time you want to spend 50 bucks on me, mail it. Robert Shaw is the mark. In the underworld, he's the big Mick. Name's Lonergan. Dyle Lonergan. It starts with the setup. You owe me 15 grand, pal. <laughs> then you bait the hook. 
Your boss is quite a card player, Mr. Kelly. How does he do it? He cheats. You play him on the wire. The wire's been out of date for ten years. That's why he won't know it. Now he's ready for the sting. He's there. Let's get on it. Don't go back to your place tonight. $500,000 to win. Lucky Dan. Paul Newman and Robert Redford. This time, they might get away with it.